Welcome to the Wonder Learn Podcast. I'm your host, France Tapon. In this episode, I interview François-Xavier Paradis Garneau. Sounds French, but he's actually Canadian. Same difference, right? Uh, but the point is, is that he went to Afghanistan for 10 weeks, right after the Taliban took over. Really ballsy tourist, and I just really respect and admire what he did and have the courage to make a grand tour, taking buses, hitchhiking, not with armed guards, just going through all the Taliban checkpoints and things like that. So we discussed what it's like to do that. And then he went to Pakistan and hung out there for a while. And eventually he's now on the brink of deciding between South Africa or Africa, should I say, and then India. We get into a great discussion. If you want to support this program, become a patron at patreon.com slash ftapon. You can get rewards for as little as two bucks a month. And now enjoy this fascinating conversation about Afghanistan with Xavier. Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, France Tapon. In this episode, I have François-Xavier Paradis-Garneau. Ça va? Ça va très bien, toi. <laughs> is that really your whole name? Yes, yes, it really is. <laughs> you have paradise in your name. Yeah, that's my mother's last name. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, okay. So, And Garneau is your dad's last name? Exactly. Okay. So you are an old fart at 23 years old. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm uh, slowly getting closer to uh, 27. <laughs> <laughs> right now, you're uh, training, I understand, for Al-Qaeda in the Pakistan? That's right. That's exactly right. I'm in a training camp right now. They didn't allow me to call you, but uh, I sneaked away and uh, I'm doing that uh, secretly. So I hope they don't catch me. Very good. Excellent. And you've also gone to Afghanistan where you worked with bin Laden. Uh, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, in fact, I was the snitch that uh, got him killed in Pakistan afterwards. I thought you were the guy who faked the whole bin Laden death. I thought that was... <laughs> Isn't he still in power right now? On a more serious note, you actually have gone to Afghanistan and, and you're currently in Pakistan. So I would love to hear because this is one of my future trips and everybody has scary images of both of these places because there's a suicide bomber every Thursday. So tell us what really life is like there. I imagine it's not so scary. Okay, so, well, for Pakistan, it's definitely not scary. Um, you know, it, it used to be quite uh, touristy here in the 90s, and everything changed after 9-11. Uh, and, you know, tourists stopped coming, and, it, you know, people thought Pakistan was super dangerous. And there were some bomb blasts, you know, here and there. But I would, like, for the last 10 years, from what people have told me, it's been very relaxed and quiet, and it's completely safe. I've been hitchhiking around the country you know, for months and it's just super safe. People are extremely, extremely friendly. It's a bit like Sudan, you know, you've been to Sudan in Africa yeah. and imagine that type of hospitality, the Sudanese hospitality, it's exactly the same here. So very, very nice people. Now um, you've been to how many countries so far, Xavier? I think like 33, 33, 30, something okay. like that. And so one of the things that you probably learned in your travels is that a lot of people love to proclaim that their country is the most hospitable or super hospitable, et cetera. So, and, and in fact, that is true. I mean, most countries are indeed quite hospitable and most people are most hospitable. But I once read an article saying that Afghanistan is one of the most hospitable of all, which made me wonder, is that true? And I thought it probably is true, but what do you think? It absolutely is true. And just to give you an idea, like I was coming from Pakistan. I've been, I've been in Pakistan for three months. So I was already you know, used to their 
huge hospitality. And then I went to Afghanistan and even after coming from Pakistan, which itself is one of the most hospitable countries, I was blown away. Like in, in Afghanistan, every time I take a bus, like the people next to me would always offer to take me to their homes at the end of the ride if I not, if I had to find a place to stay or something like that. They were super, super welcoming. It's ridiculous. It's such a paradox. It's a paradox to me because, of course, Pakistan has been embroiled in a war for over 50 years, whether it was the Soviet Union or the United States, etc. And obviously, it's not. I'm not trying to blame it as their fault, uh, because a lot of the times it's an invader from another you know, who's who's doing the, all this stuff. But you would think that people who are just so kind and they would just roll over, you know, like, okay, fine, you want to take over our country, go ahead, just take it, you know, <laughs> we're hospitable. Here's the keys. <laughs> but, but exactly, but <laughs> but they're not. <laughs> it's, you know what it is? It's because their hospitality comes from a very like strict code of honor, and so that's the reason why they're also great fighters and they're um, good at defending their countries because they have this super strict code of honor, and. And that code of honor, there's also the idea of hospitality. So they're both super welcoming to foreigners when they come as travelers. But at the same time, they also stick together and, you know, fight anybody that they see as an invader. So it's really interesting. And in fact, when I was in Afghanistan, at some point, you know, you do meet the Taliban and sometimes they, you know, you have to talk to them and even they invite you for lunch and things like that. Then they were telling me like, oh, we really like guests and foreigners, but we don't want them to come with arms and weapons we want them to come like you with a backpack and a map and as you know travelers so it was really interesting to see how i came from a nato country and well actually let's just go back so i can give you a bit of a, a context you know before going there since the fall of 2021 no western tourists had gone there so i didn't really know you know how they're going to react to somebody coming in from a nato country are they going to be friendly? Or are they going to be hostile? So the only people I, I spoke to who had been there since the Taliban takeover were Iranians. And they were both detained for days uh, on accusations of being spies. And they're from Iran, a Middle Eastern country, Muslim country. So I thought, man, I'm going to go there as a Canadian. Something bad will happen for sure. But overall, it was it was positive. Um they let me in, they gave me a visa in Peshawar, and, you know, they they treated me with respect. They even offered me sometimes shelter, sometimes food. I did get detained a few times, but that's uh, a long story. But, yeah, overall, it was it was really good and uh, very, very friendly people. Did you get the visa in Canada before you traveled, or did you get it on your current voyage? Basically, I was in Pakistan, and I hadn't planned to go to Afghanistan. I was just doing Pakistan, the mountains, hiking in the north. And then I thought, man... The war is over. Who knows? Maybe it's safer to go now than it was, you know, previously. So I went to Peshawar and I, I just went to the Afghan consulate and I asked. And they were a bit surprised to see that I wanted to go as a tourist. But then they said, yeah, yeah, no problem. You know, just just go. We'll give you the visa and uh, have fun. You'll love the country for sure. And so I just got it in Peshawar. And interestingly enough, the embassy was actually controlled by the new government. And I felt more safe doing that because if I had gotten the visa in Canada or even in the States, the embassies there were controlled by the previous government. So they had less legit legitimacy in the eyes of the current government. But because the, the Peshawar consulate is literally run by the Taliban, if anything happened, at least I could say, well, guys, I got the visa from 
the current administration? What's the problem? You know what I mean? So I, I felt much safer doing that. That's great. And was it expensive? Uh, it was a hundred bucks for 30 days, but I had 90 days to enter. Okay, that's great. That's that's. And how long did it take for them to process it? 24 hours, 48 hours? It was ridiculously fast, an hour. Literally wow. just two passport pictures, a, a, a form, and that's it, you know? Were you just, um, while you waited, you just sat there and just let them do it? Actually, I had to go to do, I think I had some passport pictures missing. Sorry, how about now? Is is the embassies in North America for Afghanistan, are they currently the Taliban-friendly people who are running it, or it's the old regime? As far as I know, the ones in Pakistan are, are run by the new government. I think the one in Russia, I think it's changed, and it's the new government as well. Uh, but besides Pakistan and Russia, maybe Saudi Arabia, maybe a few other countries, but uh, in the West, I think they're all under the control of the previous administration. We're in 2022 right now. When were you there exactly in Pakistan? Because there, sorry, in Afghanistan, I heard that there was starvation and all sorts of other horrible things happening ever since the Americans left and pandemonium. But I'm, I'm sure that all that's exaggerated, I imagine. So basically, I got in in December of 2021 uh, with a one-month visa. And then I, I actually, once inside, I extended it for another month and then another 10 days. So I ended up spending like 70 days inside. So end of 2021, December, up until February 28th, 2022. Um, wow, so 70 and, days. Is it that how, That's how long it takes to become a suicide bomber? 70 days? <laughs> exactly. The training is quite long. You have to pass the exams. You okay, know, yeah. And, Sometimes fail, so it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Great. So, but but then, so seventy days. That was that's amazing. Now, did you, so tell us a little bit about the experience itself, as far as well, the danger and and of starvation and all this other stuff. What kind of lured me into the country was the idea that hey, maybe I can do like the, if you have a map of Afghanistan in front of you, you'll see you know there's sort of a ring road around the country, and I never heard of anybody who had managed to complete it fully because of the war and because of you know different uh, circumstances. So I thought mm, maybe now is the time to uh, to go and do a complete circle and see different provinces that were previously inaccessible. Because what would happen before is the Taliban would put up checkpoints. Um, and then if you were a Westerner and you managed to be stopped, uh, then they would either like kidnap you and then hold you for ransom. Or if you were unlucky, they might just kill you on the spot. So it was obviously quite dangerous. But now that they were in government... I thought, well, the risk is gone because these guys are ruling the country. They're supposed to be the legitimate authorities. And sure enough, it was it was fine. I could take buses. I could even hitchhike sometimes. And I got into Torham border, which is near. I don't know if you have a map in front of you, but basically there's Peshawar. And then there's a road that goes to Kabul. And then from Kabul, I went to Bamiyan province and then north to a city called mazar sharif And then... I basically did a complete circle. Like after that, I went to Herat, Kandahar in the south, and then back north again. And I don't know of any other person who's managed to circle the entire country. I'm sure there are people who've done it, but there are very few. I imagine, especially you're talking about foreign people like Westerners. I mean, I'm sure Afghanis themselves, if they're selling uh, mangoes or whatever they're doing, they probably do all yeah, this yeah, stuff. Yeah, of course. Um, of course, they're definitely locals, but like foreigners uh, that are doing that for for the sake of traveling, I, I don't think there's uh, a lot of people. who. Right. And I don't think they sell much mangoes either. That's probably selling sheep, <laughs> sheep or something. <laughs> the climate there is not really friendly for mangoes, I imagine. But, no, uh, no. People sometimes think Afghanistan is sort of a hot 
desert, but that's only the south. The the center and the north are mountainous. Yeah, and it's cold. Really, really cold, like snow and you know, almost like Canada. So it's completely different from what people think. Well, it's interesting you say that because I guess I've read a lot of books about military operations happening in Afghanistan. So I kind of had an idea that it's very mountainous for the most part and dry, arid, and yet cold. Right, but like very snowy as well, like especially the center, the center of the country. Oh, really? So it, it has enough humidity that they dump a, a fair amount of snow? Oh, yeah, 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 like completely white mountains. And ladies and gentlemen, this is coming from a Canadian, so you know he's serious. Yeah, yeah. It's like if a Canadian has it feels cold in Afghanistan, you can bet it's pretty cold. <laughs> That's right. Um, so overall, you didn't have. I mean, it sounds like you had occasional little hiccups here and there, but obviously nothing serious since we're still talking to you. Okay, so the thing is, overall it went well, but sometimes uh, it didn't. I'll give you an example. So one time I was in this place called Herat, which is on the western border near Iran. And everything had gone pretty well so up until that point. So I thought, okay, I'll just, you know, hitchhike south because that's usually how I travel. You need the locals. It's cheaper, et cetera. And then I end up in this place. It's sort of a village, and it's the province south of Herat called Farah. And I get stopped at night, and the Taliban see me get out of the truck. And they're like, I'm the first foreigner they've ever seen. It's like one in the morning or whatever. They just don't know what's happening. You know, this guy comes out of a of a truck with a backpack at night, completely confused. And then it just, just decided to, you know, there's a language problem as well. They don't really speak English. I don't speak Pashto. So long story short, I ended up spending like two to three days in their base, no handcuffs, very free eating with them. Everything was fine, but they just wanted to get a clearance from their bosses that, you know, this guy is really a traveler and we can let him carry on. So I did end up spending three days in a sort of detention, you could say. Right. Yeah, that's totally understandable. I wouldn't blame them at all for that. I mean, overall, I think it's great you've done what you've done is courageous that you went there right when the Taliban took over. A lot of people wouldn't be that ballsy. And yet you proved that it was fine. But have you heard of any other travelers who've either not necessarily followed your footsteps, but also have been kind of exploring post-Taliban takeover that have been less fortunate? Uh, Yeah, so, well, the Iranian guy was was thrown, I think it was literally almost jail for, I think, four or five days on account of being a spy, which is interesting because in my case, it wasn't jail. It was, you know, I was literally eating. It was their base. We were eating together. So they were much more friendly to me than they were to that Iranian guy who was there before me, which I find very strange. They didn't ask you to pay for any money for the the meals. No, that's the weirdest part. And not only that, sometimes I'd offer, and I know it sounds like I'm bullshitting, but I'm not. I would offer them like, guys, can you go get me a bottle of water? Like, here's cash. And they wouldn't take the money and they'd go and buy it themselves. And bear in mind that they're not being paid a lot. Like, they eat, they eat potatoes and very basic stuff, like super a Spartan diet, if you will. So you're probably and pissed off that they only detained you for two days. It would have been great if they did it for two months. You would have, like, a free vacation. Exactly. It was a free hotel. It was a free hotel, right? <laughs> With food, and room, and board and everything. <laughs> It was literally, I'm not joking, it was like giving accommodation free and everything. And I was joking with my friend. I was saying, you know, the the joke was you could go to any city in Afghanistan, hand yourself over to the Taliban for the night, and then they keep you in for free to feed you. And then the next day you're like, guys, okay, thank you, bye-bye. And then you just leave and the whole trip for free. <laughs> this is what they should do for their 
tourist promotion. Okay, this is great. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to go now, in fact, because uh, you've probably seen that as well when you were in Africa. Like countries that see very few tourists usually have the friendliest people because when when you go there, you know, you're special and they're happy to see a foreigner. They see you as a guest and they treat you well. But then if you go to places that see tourists every day, well, they don't care about you anymore. They just think, okay, you're just another consumer and we want to make money off you. So have you noticed that yourself? Absolutely. No, you're 100% correct. Yeah, no question about that. And right now you're in Pakistan and I, it's not a big tourist destination either, but at least they're probably more used to seeing people if you're in Islamabad or... It's, it's so interesting because it varies, like you said, even in the same country, if you're in a place like, for example, Upper Chitral in Pakistan, where they almost never see foreigners, very, very nice. They never try to rip you off. And then if you go to a place, I won't name it, but if you go to places where there's more foreigners, um, you know, sometimes taxis try to cheat you more. And even in Morocco, where you're at right now, I'm sure you see it uh, if you're in Marrakesh versus a small valley that nobody goes to. One of the problems I have when I travel with Africa is that I, I often didn't go back to a place years later to see what's changed or whatever. So it's hard for you to gauge whether women were much better off than before or they're much worse off now. Obviously, the, the, the narrative that we all are taught is that things are so much worse under the Taliban. You probably didn't have a chance to interact much with women or is that not true? You're completely right, uh, Francis. You you know, that's the thing. Everybody asks me about that. And because you've traveled, you know, it. You know, in these Muslim countries, you hardly ever interact with women. So I can't really speak on their condition or, you know, I, like even in Pakistan, I hardly ever see, I ever very rarely interact with women. So it's hard for me to... Uh, to make a statement, and especially since I hadn't been there before the takeover, I can't really compare. But what I will say is I have seen women wearing high heels, even in Kabul during the current government, when I was there anyways. And I did also see some women work in places like banks, for instance, and private companies. What about hijab? Were they all wearing hijab? Yeah, they were wearing like a hair covering, uh, but not the full face, just the hair being covered. But the thing is, even in Pakistan, that's what I always tell people. Like, if you go to the Pashtun areas, the Pashtuns are a, an ethnicity. If you go to the Pashtun areas of Pakistan, to me, it's as conservative, if not more, than Afghanistan. Like, I was in a place called Quetta, and I didn't see a single woman on the, on the streets over there. And it's in Pakistan. And I would imagine if you go to certain places of Saudi Arabia, it's also super, super conservative. So... People focus a lot on Afghanistan, but the thing is, there's many countries where it's extremely conservative. So we only have a few minutes left. I do definitely want to talk and have you back on the podcast, but I just want to tease people because what you're doing is so fascinating and interesting. Before you went to Afghanistan, where were you? I was in Pakistan. And then before Pakistan? I was in Canada. So I graduated English linguistics in May of 2021. And then I worked the whole summer, saved money. I had some savings before that, but I saved more. And then I took off in September, then came to Pakistan and explored the north and all these areas. And then after that, in December, I went to Afghanistan, spent seven days. I hadn't planned to stay that long, but it was just that interesting. Mm -hmm. And then I'm back in Pakistan now. And that ends this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we've talked about, go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F-TAPON. 
That's my first initial and my last name. Ftapon is always my social media username. My website is ftapon.com. Do you want to leave me an anonymous voicemail where you can make a comment or ask a question? Then go to speakpipe.com slash ftapon. Furthermore, if you'd like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. Now, five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn. Thank you.